Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend, and somehow it is July. Coming up, I talk to the creator of a theatrical experience where you spend a pretty intense hour on the phone with a complete stranger. You won't be able to track this person down. You won't recognize them on the street. You might be standing in line with them at the bank, uh, you know, a couple months later, but you would never, ever know it. Plus, Everdeen Mason, who's in charge of games at the New York Times, tells us how she wants to shake things up in crossword land, even though she is not that intense about them. The big scam is that I'm actually not that great at them. I'm a very, very comfortable Monday, Tuesday solver. But first, it's our chat about the week that was. With us this week, we have two excellent guests. First up is Priska Neely, managing editor for the Gulf States Newsroom, a collaboration between NPR and some Gulf States. Priska, hello. Hello. Good to be here. Thanks for coming. Okay, so we also have Anna Rubinova. She is the co-creator of Left Handed Radio, the sketch comedy podcast. Anna, welcome. Hi there. Nice to be here. (laughs) Yay. Um, So it turned out to actually be a pretty heavy week, I would say. Search and rescue crews are still sorting through the rubble of a building in Miami. Bill Cosby, who had been serving a 10-year sentence for sexual assault, got out of jail by overturning his conviction. Um, Those are all bummers. We're going to start with another bummer. I think we should talk about COVID. Uh, It's a weird news week for COVID, I feel like, especially when it comes to the Delta variant. It's spreading rapidly around the world. It's already on track to become the dominant variant in the U.S. In Israel, there was an outbreak and 50 percent of the people who were infected by the variant were also fully vaccinated with the Pfizer shots, which I do not love to hear. Los Angeles County is recommending masks indoors. The World Health Organization is recommending the same. Here in Illinois, at least, officials are still following CDC guidelines and saying masks are not required if you are fully vaccinated. This is a lot of confusing, whiplashy stuff. I'm curious how each of you is managing. Um, How are things going for you, Prisca? Like, are you still masking? Are you clubbing like what's what's the deal <laughs> clubbing um i will say you know that i've i've done like these news roundup shows a couple of times and i feel like every time i do it's it is a bummer week and i'm like is mm. it me i'm sorry these are supposed to be like light light <laughs> no i don't think it's you prisca i'm pretty um, sure it's just the state of the world <laughs> yeah um you know i'm i'm in birmingham alabama so it's it's an interesting place you know it's one of the places that has the some of the lowest, lowest vaccination rates in the country um mm-hmm. the three states that i work with louisiana mississippi and alabama are all like right at the bottom there for vaccination rates so the delta variant is definitely um on my mind but it's also you know, in Alabama, people were never into the masking. And, you know, Mississippi was one of the first states to lift the um, mask mandates. And so everyone was just like very excited when masks weren't a thing anymore. And I just feel like, 
oh, the CDC messaging is just like so confusing. It's like, yeah. what am I supposed to do? And you can't, you know, once you tell people no masks, they're going to like opt into wearing them again. Yeah. Right. Especially if they were already like a super hesitant population in the first place. That makes total sense. Yeah. So I have, I haven't, I got both my doses and I had, you know, felt comfortable not wearing a mask, but I, I had a, a friend in town from California and met her last night and and she was like still masking. And I was like, wow, you know, California is, it's just kind of been so different this whole time. And I was like, what, who am I? What do I do? What do I want to do? I don't know. So it's, it's a real roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's great for an existential spiral for sure. Now, Anna, you are in California, right? I, I am. And and Repriska's uh, bummer week comment, I, I think it's been a bummer week for 10 years. Not to sound like a bad Stephen King character. Um, but uh, I'm in California. I've been here the whole pandemic, uh, too afraid to move. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, the other night, had dinner with some friends. And I feel like I should have known better. That's the the feeling I'm stuck with. Um, so like you were indoors and unmasked, I we assume, indoors, for this dinner? indoors, unmasked, and because we're all vaccinated, we've just wanted to give oh, ourselves God, permission to have that dinner. And I think the wake-up call has finally been heard. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. I think the last two days have been reconciling this undeserved optimism and it has finally dawned on a lot of people, those who were hesitant to take the masks off initially, like myself, you know, had this feeling that, what are you worried about? You're vaccinated. If you believe in science and you believe the CDC, when they say, put the mask on, you should believe them when, you know, they say, take it off. And I don't know. (laughs) I know I'm the comedian here. I have no jokes. I'm terrified. Um, and I hope that sounds really dire. That's the scariest thing you've said yet. I think Anna. no jokes, no jokes, no jokes. I mean, be, be safe. You know, let's, let's see. And if you, if you are in a position to stay inside and keep your sanity, you know, wait a week. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I, I'm like, I completely understand and I'm willing to make the sacrifice of not like eating indoors with a group of people. I think that's not unreasonable, but like, I just feel like it's such a slippery slope from that to lockdown mm-hmm. in my head still. And I'm just like, so, and you know, I was concerned that the CDC guidance about taking off your mask came a little too soon, Yeah, but it's mm-hmm. still in a lot of ways has been a big relief to think that like, okay, maybe thing you know, things are opening up. Maybe we actually are getting back to normal. And I feel like this week especially has just really forced me to reframe things of like, Oh yeah, no, this is super not over yet. You know, it was nice to have that, that reprieve, right. It was nice to have a little taste of what could be. It, it, it has given me hope maybe for others. It's, you know, like taking something back that they really desperately needed. But I hope people have used this time to gain strength if they were privileged enough to do so. Yeah. I definitely don't feel like I got my kicks in the way I probably should have. You didn't go clubbing? (laughs) No, I didn't go clubbing. (laughs) (laughs) But that's all right. Um, So another really intense story from this week is the heat wave that's been hitting Many parts of the country, especially in the Pacific Northwest, I mean, Portland, Oregon, recorded three of its hottest days in history last week, three days in a row. There was a high of 116 degrees. 
It got up to 121 degrees in British Columbia. Um, NPR reported power lines were melting. Roads were buckling in from the heat. You know, a lot of folks there don't have air conditioning. Um, (laughs) It kind of sounds to me like the end of days. Uh, Anna, you got jokes? Uh, Hold on. (laughs) Give me a couple of years. Let me work. (laughs) Priska, how much are you following this and like worrying about this stuff? Um, I mean, it's interesting being in a part of the country. So I, I moved I moved from California to Birmingham, mm. Alabama in the fall and, mm. you know, was in Oakland last year when like the wildfires were at their peak and, you know, thought I was moving to a part of the country where I was going to have to deal with hotter summers. And it's, you know, it's just been so strange to see those forecasts. And, you know, I know someone who's moving from Birmingham to Seattle and, you know, it's like, why is it oh. hotter there? Like, you know, why am I <laughs> moving into? Um, so it, it's just like, whoa, 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 what is happening? And I, then I got an alert on my phone yesterday about some type of lava fire. And I did not what? click on what? that. What I can't that? tell you what it means because I couldn't <laughs> click on that. Um, but it said lava fire in Northern California. And I said, I don't want to know about that. And I wish everyone (laughs) the best. Oh, God. Um, That reminds me of a couple months ago when there were like hundreds of whales trapped somewhere. And I just like saw the headline and I was I can't do it. I can't do it. I cannot. Yeah, it's it's really hard to find a place to live that's not on fire, underwater, shaking (laughs) or or is run by criminals. Oh, that's that, okay. Let's <laughs> let's shift to something slightly more fun and ridiculous, um, which is this new movie Zola. Um, I say ridiculous because I'm pretty sure, at least, that this is the first movie to be based on a Twitter thread. Um, mm-hmm. I highly doubt that it'll be the last. It's the original thread is 148 tweets long. It's about a Detroit waitress who goes to Florida for the weekend, thinking she's going to ba- make a bunch of money stripping with her new friend. Um, But it takes at least one very strange turn. Um, I'm curious if this is on your radars. Are you going to watch it, Priska? Are you like curious about this one at all? Well, I I guess when the trailer came out a few weeks ago, I'd seen everyone like quoting that opening line. You want to hear a story about how me and this bitch fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. Um, And then I was like, what is this? Anyway, so I finally this week read the original thread. I mean, my heart was racing. It is such an intense story. Like, I was like, what is going to happen next? Like, hello? Like, I was like, this is a story. And and the little asides that she had, I mean, it's just a hilarious. She's an amazing storyteller. Like, I mean, yes, I just, yeah. it, truly, truly amazing. So it's it's cool that that, you know, did go viral in, in 2015 or whatever it was, but that it was able to get a life in a way that I think she is being acknowledged um, mm-hmm. for the writing, like for the storytelling, for how good that was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and I watched some clips like with the cast and they were just talking about the original thread and, you know, how amazing it was. So I, I, I to be honest, between the stress of reading the thread and then watching the trailer, which I found <laughs> also very stressful, <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I don't know that I need this in my yeah. life. Um, I don't know that I need to watch a 90 minute version of a very stressful <laughs> thread. Um, so I may pass, but I, I do appreciate it. I don't know that I need to see the movie. Maybe like 
you know, later when I'm less stressed in my own personal life. <laughs> yeah, that's totally. Maybe in 10 years when things have finally <laughs> calmed down. What do you think, Anna? Are you going to watch it? I've seen it. You've seen it? Did you like it? How I was saw it? it earlier this week. It was fantastic. Um, yes. And I completely concur with, with Prisca's um apprehension surrounding the the subject matter and how stressful it is it is a very stressful movie but it mm-hmm. it is also very intentionally funny um there is mm-hmm. a lot of humor in it um the casting is just spot on the directing is great the cinematography is stylized and cool maybe i i don't know i just thought it was the exact level of escapism that I needed in that moment is probably it's the first and last movie I'll probably see in a while in a theater um, because of you know all everything else going on so it will hold a special place in my heart for that reason Mm -hmm. um but I just think it's it's a good ride it's a fantastic ride and the director is a woman of color and it's it's just I hope she you know gets her accolades for it it's just it's and the the fact that it's off of a Twitter thread, great. Um, I know I know people who have you know sold things off of like a really good sandwich they had because that is how Hollywood works. So <laughs> in that respect, whether you like the movie or not, it's it's one hundred percent a valid form of um, inspiration. Yeah, well, especially if it's like between that or just like more Gossip Girl and Sex in the City reboots, you know? It's like, yeah, let's mix it up. Let's mix it up a little. Anna, have you seen the new Fast and Furious movie? I will never. <laughs> oh, uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. Don't make me get on my soapbox here. Oh, please. I mean, I'm. I, they must be amazing because they keep making them. I've never seen one. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Please, please tell me why I should see it. Oh, well, I mean, how long do I have? Um, yeah, how much time do I have? No. Um, so, yeah, that was my first time back in the theater was um, Saturday when um, I saw that. And it was just a delightful experience just being in a theater for the first time. And this is the ninth one, to and be clear. The ninth one. Um, I just love, I love the films. Car racing movies are very fun. And it started off just, you know, some guys, and then they were racing, and then, you know, it's undercover, cop, whatever. And now they are international spy team. Does that make sense? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I want to be clear that these films don't make sense. Are they incredible? Yes. Was I? My mouth was agape. I was clapping out loud in the theater. I was, like, screaming for the... I mean... There's so many women. It's so diverse. There are so many female hackers. I mean, the latest one is Helen Mirren, Charlize Theron. Like, it's like... <laughs> what? Really? <laughs> yes. Jason Statham. Like, John Cena. Like, they have tons of people in there. Lots of women doing awesome things. I mean, the stunts, they don't make any... Uh, nothing Nothing makes sense. <laughs> but they are so amazing. And I just want to say, Magnets. The, the role that Magnets what? played in this last film. Wow. <laughs> magnets i didn't know i didn't know magnets could be such a large plot point but i want to let you know that magnets can be a very large plot point in a car action movie (laughs) i think that's a very good pitch and i love that between the two of you now we have like two pretty great movie options for people to watch this weekend i think it's perfect (laughs) anna prisca thank you both so much it was such a treat to talk to both of you thank you this was great 
I wish I could see the poster that says magnets. (laughs) (laughs) You won't believe it. Fast Nine starring magnets. (laughs) Damn, they got a magnet plane? After the break, I kind of yell at a play producer about how much I loved her new project. And Everdeen Mason tells us about her cool new job at The New York Times. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. So the other day, I signed up for this kind of play-like thing called A Thousand Ways. What are you looking at? What can you see from where you are? That is the voice of Sally, our robot guide. Sally facilitated a conversation over the phone between me and a total stranger. Have you ever scaled a fence? Do you own a printer? Have you held a gun? At the end of the experience, I didn't know the person's name or even where he lived. I did know the year he was born. I did learn that he's held a gun. I heard about how the last time he slept outside, he was on a windy hilltop in the Smokies and the trees bent and swayed. What do you do with all this? If all you get is pieces, how will you assemble it? It was a really amazing exploration of intimacy and distance and kind of a reframing of the idea of what it means to really know a person. Maybe this isn't enough. It might be incomplete, but this is all we have. There are a thousand ways to do this and this is all we have. Just you and me. It's something I haven't stopped thinking about since I did it. It's a piece by 600 Highwaymen, which is run by theater makers Abby Browdy and Michael Silverstone. And Abby is here with us now. Abby, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Greta. So I tried to kind of set the scene, but could you talk a little bit more about what you're trying to create here? Sure. I mean, the experience, I think some people think that it, oh, is it meant to be like a dating thing or is it like a about getting to know you. And in some ways it, look, I don't know that it's actually about getting these two people necessarily closer to one another, but it's about having this experience, this sort of intimate experience with this other person. Yeah. I mean, it's about being seen, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely about how you can, through distance, have this intimacy with someone, have this fleeting encounter and have it be impactful and meaningful. And Mm -hmm. also it is a hundred percent fleeting. Like you said, you won't be able to track this person down. You won't recognize them on the street. You might be standing in line with them at the bank, uh, you know, a couple months later, but you would never, ever know it. And I think that, I think in certain instances, the piece sort of creates this kind of crazy bond with someone, but but they're gone. And, and so I guess the question of 
like how real is that bond if you can't get it back um, or yeah. if you can't return to it or if you can't point to it or even name the other person? And I would sort of, I guess I would say it's very real because it's a real emotional experience. And, uh, you know, the goal here is not to fall in love with the other person. The goal here right. is to have this experience. Um, and I think that, you know, we're theater makers. So for us, this past year and a half, two years of living in pandemic life has had us thinking about how we create intimacy, emotional connection, um, emotional experience and empathy with other people without having the form that we usually have, which is a theater, which is a lot of people in a room. Yeah, yeah. exactly. A shared space. Like how can we share experience, but without sharing space? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think partly what I found so fascinating too, is that you managed to create intimacy without doing a lot of the sort of standard getting to know you bullshit things, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like I I learned where the person I did the thing with uh, when he was born. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't know where he went to college. Again, I don't even know his name. Mm -hmm. But I know some of the most important memories from his childhood, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, it was just such a... I don't know. I, I found it so fascinating to... I can't think of another experience I've had where I was able to get to, like, topics that were that profound with a complete stranger. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we sort of avoided things that felt too categorical. Like, okay, now that I know that about you, I'm gonna now I'm gonna now I know who you are. Oh, I can decide what kind of person you now are. Now I have on a that. sense. Yeah. I'm because there are questions, and I think we tried to keep. There are questions that bring up certain things that somehow illuminate a story without naming the story, mm. and sometimes I think we found that like maybe there was more in leaving out the gaps and it was a more poetic yes. exercise in the potential of who you could be. Um, yeah. That, yeah, there's simple, some of the questions, like you said, are really simple. It's like, what year were you born? Um, do you have any children? You know, some yeah. are really basic. And so the other person, it's like you, you just get a sense of your other caller by the fragments that you learn. And somehow... Mm -hmm through this amalgamation of fragments, maybe, I guess our feeling is maybe there's something more complete that can be told versus stuff that I would start to categorize you or even flatten you. Like if I learn, yeah. you know, the basic, what do you do for a living? Where did you go to school? Um, are you married? Are you straight? Are you like, who did you vote mm -hmm. for? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't it start to like... Yeah, I would paint a picture. You would paint a picture that would really yeah. be based... I would put you in a box. Yeah, I would. and it would be based more on like, other stuff actually than how I'm showing it. it would be based more on the listener and your predetermined yeah. assumptions about that the boxes I have made yeah exactly totally. exactly yeah. and so you know you don't see this other person you don't know what they look like you don't know about their hair or their skin or their size or their shape or their height um yeah. and maybe there's a way that in this almost like bodiless space that you can, you can really see the other person and you can really get this vivid portrait of them, but it's almost like this. My hope is that it's almost like this new dimension. Yes. I was just going to say, I think there's a dimensionality to it. That's especially interesting given the fact that you're, it's not visual at all. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah, that speaks to kind of the first several questions during the piece, I guess, if you, as you refer to it is describing the things that are in the room where you're sitting. Yeah. And even that, and, and you know, it's very early on. It was funny because um, I was asked, "What in the what in your room is fragile?" Mm -hmm. And the first thing that came to mind was me. Mm -hmm. 
And it was just like, oh, we're going there. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> all right, we're going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. It was just a very funny moment of like, okay, like, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do think that, pe- look, I know this piece inside and out. And sometimes Michael or I will call and we'll attend the show um, to mm. just like, especially as we were developing it and learning how it was working. That's, so cool. um, that's the only way you can really do it is is it's not like a theater where you can sit in the back of the house and watch it and see how the audience is responding. You actually have mm-hmm. to be on the line and participating in it and, and speaking and listening. And even though I know these questions inside and out and a lot of the prompts, it's like, I, I still, it catches you uh, um, sort of off guard and there are things where I'm like, oh, I, I didn't know I was going to say that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That experience was really cool. Too. Yeah. People tend to say like, oh, I, I wasn't prepared. So I'm curious I assume this has happened. Um, has someone asked you if they could be connected with the person? Yes. They all, talked to all the time, all the time. And have you, have you accommodated those requests? We, or are we you... don't, we actually yeah. don't. I, you know, we were tempted. Oh my gosh. I'm sure oh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. We've had folks who've done both part, part one and part two. They please, I, you know, this person, we just really connected. Da, 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 da. And, um, we don't just because I think that it sort of counteracts the, look, it's sad to, to have that sort of love and loss. Um, but I think that's okay. Yeah. I mean, Mm. I think we're not, if I can be kind of large about it, I don't think we're great with loss culturally. That's, that's a huge generalization. Um, but it's not wrong. <laughs> you know, and like, especially yeah. now, look, we made this piece last summer and last fall. So we were in a very different moment pandemic wise. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking about it a lot nowadays as we're sort of in entering this quote unquote reopening or whatever it is that in some ways I'm feeling a kind of blowing past the the loss and the sadness of this past year and a half of like, Woo, let's just cut to the next scene. Let's let's reopen. Let's take off the masks. Let's go back to the movies. Let's go to restaurants, you know? And all of that mm-hmm. certainly is stuff to be celebrated, but when do we also sit in sadness and just yeah. and accept it as something that's something real, but not a thing to be fixed, not a problem to be solved. It's just it is what it is. And so I think that the the fleeting nature of this can feel sometimes sad and you want it, you want to get that person back. But, you know, we, we have a, a hotline that folks can call into after they've done the show to just like leave a message and share their experience. We've just learned oh some people want to just now talk about it in some way. Yeah. And, um, that's funny. Cause this is totally my version of that. Yeah, it's like, exactly. Hey Abby, can we talk? <laughs> yeah. You have a podcast. You get, <laughs> you get hotline deluxe. Um, <laughs> But we heard from one person who left this beautiful voicemail for us a few months ago and said, I really, I really want to get in touch with the person and I want to ask you and I know you won't let me, (laughs) but Mm. they said, but I also am okay with it because it was real. And just because I can't have them again or can't meet them again or don't know who they are, it doesn't make the experience less real. And that kind of framed it for us in a new way of like, yeah, that's exactly right. Right. Well, and to really remember the moment yeah. and how memorable the encounter and the exchange was. Like, I think I, I've probably thought about it every day since I've done the thing. Oh, my gosh. And, and you know, like, there is something kind of wistful about yeah. it. Like, I even, I forget exactly what I wrote down after doing it in my journal, but it was something like, 
like it hurt, but mm. in a really great way, you know, because mm. it's mm. just like, you know, you won't have it back, but it was still so cool mm-hmm. that it was just like, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, good. So we've mentioned there's a part two. It's pretty similar to part one, except that it's in person. People are sitting on a stage in an empty theater and they have cards as conversation guides instead of Sally. Uh, Can you tell us a little more about part three? Well, part three is so under the knife right now. Um, So part three will be gathering folks uh, in, it's called an assembly. So it'll be in groups, um, like probably around 20, 30, 40 people together. And I think it's trying to capture the moment when being actually in groups in shared space and time feels um, really potent and where we haven't done that very often, except in sort of restaurants where you're really like, at least in the United States, we're doing it in restaurants and you're kind of ushered through in certain weird um, Mm. air traffic control ways. I think that Mm -hmm. this is how do we, part three is sort of asking the question, how do we all come back together again? Now that we are a new we, uh, we are probably all changed in some way, shape or form from the last two years. And so instead of trying to be nostalgic about what we used to be. How do we come together in a new way? Yeah, that's a really beautiful way of putting it. Um, Abby, thank you so much. I just loved the show and I really loved talking to you about it too. So thank you. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on. It's been a real pleasure. gamer no 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 like a real gamer like you start each morning with a cup of coffee in the crossword or you spend all day getting to genius on spelling bee if so we have a real treat for you our next guest is the first ever editorial director for games the new york times section devoted to hardcore gamers like you her name is everdeen mason and i am so excited to have her on the show everdeen welcome hi thank you so what does it actually mean to be the editorial director of games Basically, I oversee all of the editorial content and context um, around our games. So I work with the games editors who build out our puzzles, edit our puzzles, Spelly Bee, Vertex, um, the crosswords, obviously. The big scam is that I'm actually not that great at them. I am a very, very comfortable Monday Tuesday solver. Um, <laughs> but uh, I always tell my team I'm sort of, I'm their Chris Kardashian. So like I'm the weird bureaucrat who's going to make sure that they have the space to do all the work that they want to do, who asks the questions, who like connects them with our tech side um, to make sure that they have the right tools. So yeah, it's it's a, a big job, but I'm having a lot of fun. That's awesome. I love that so much. So New York Times Games has seen quite a bit of growth since 2019. Mm-hmm. Do you think working from home has helped or hindered usage? I mean, probably helped. I think there's a lot of people who got into it during the pandemic um, and started um, really upping their streaks and playing every day. Um, Mm. But I do think we do have a really core audience base of people who play and, you know, our games, you, you either know or you don't, right? So we don't make it super accessible to people who are like just looking for something to do and want to try a new thing. Mm. So that's something that I'm working on, um, trying to make our puzzles more accessible without making them easier, um, you know, because we want to keep up that that challenge um, and that 
quality that we're known for. Um, but yeah, I think people are playing more and playing more games in general. Like people are looking for ways to connect with each other um, virtually. And I don't see that going away now that things are opening up. It just gives us more yeah. things to talk about. I A weird thing I did during the pandemic was I actually bought a printer so that I could print out the crossword puzzle and do it with my mom over the phone. She's in Alaska. Yeah. I know that's something that we would really like to do is make uh, more social elements for our games. Mm, That would be really cool. It's interesting to hear you talk about the accessibility because I think about that a lot, especially in terms of a puzzle as someone who does it fairly regularly. It's like, and it definitely has changed a lot over the past couple of years, but I still feel like there's a thing with the puzzle where it's like your odds of knowing the answers are much better if you are very well educated, probably white, ideally on the East Coast and like very well acquainted with the late 1890s. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I do. So like trying to expand that diversifying not only who the constructors are, but also what the clues are, but also keeping it challenging for people who have been doing the puzzle for so long without alienating them. Like, how are you navigating all that? I mean, we're working on it, but I think uh, a lot of what happens actually is that, you know, our constructor base is very, you know, they know what they're doing and they know what it means to be in the New York Times. So I think actually a lot of people send us the kinds of puzzles that they think that we will like um, Mm -hmm. and don't really push the boundaries as much as they could. Um, You know, I would really love to see some more diversified word lists. I'd love to debut more words. Um, And honestly, I think, you know, people really focus on the fill of a puzzle um, and making sure the crossings are fair. Um, But I, you know, something that I'm I'm hoping we can emphasize more is the clues um, because I think the clues are the, you know, no word exists in a vacuum in a crossword. It's all part of the context of the puzzle and the theme. Mm -hmm. And so the clues are really important to that. So even, you know, there are common words that we could clue differently. And I also think language is in and of itself, like a gatekeeping methodology. Like we decide what words are proper and what's not and like what words we accept in lexicon and what aren't. And so trying to expand that um, and legitimize like other ways of speaking, um, it'll be more fun anyway, right? Like it's all wordplay. So I think we want to kind of push those boundaries. Is there like a specific word that you like can't wait to get in a puzzle? So many words. Actually, I was kind of joking, but I'm not. I put on Twitter that I will Venmo $20 to a constructor that puts Doja Cat in the puzzle (laughs) because I love her. I just want it in the puzzle. <laughs> Don't give me any power. I just want people to put things in the puzzle that would delay me and then I can argue to get them through. <laughs> oh, I just love it so much. Everdeen, thank you. I'm really excited for your global takeover. Yeah. Thank you. It's going to be a good world. Yeah, let's let's see if I can pull it off. <laughs> you can. I have faith in you. Thank you.
All right, that's it for this week. I hope you have a great holiday weekend. Keep an ear out next week for our interview with David Yoon, the author of July's book club selection. The book is called Version Zero. It's pretty great. We would love to hear what you think of it. You can send us your hot takes on your smartphone, record those, then email the file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. Do it before we tape on Friday, July 23rd if you want to be in the episode. Then be sure to tune into that episode, which will drop the last Tuesday of the month. This episode was produced by me and Isabel Carter. Brendan Banazak is our executive producer. We will see you next week with magnets. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.